Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello! Hello! And my name is Craig Fields. And I'm David Long. And welcome to week 37 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Uh, we only have three films to review this week, but it's an action-packed show nonetheless. That's right, Craig. It certainly is, and I've been really excited about this recording. The Joker has finally landed in the UK, and it has landed with a hell of a bang. Indeed it has, and uh, that's how we'll be kicking off this week's show. Our first review will be Joker, and it's directed by Todd Phillips, starring the always fantastic and brilliant Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, Craig, and boy, am I excited for this review. Second up, we'll be reviewing Judy, directed by Rupert Gould and starring a captivating comeback performance from Renee Zellweger. And finally, we shall round this episode off with a review of The Goldfinch, and it's directed by John Crowley, starring Nicole Kidman, Jeffrey Wright, Luke Wilson, Oakes Fledgley, and the wonderful Ansel Elgut. Uh, So that is the uh, wonderful rundown for this week's show, I suppose. Uh, how are you? You good? I am good. One month to that a cigarette and obviously very excited and as always highly simulated um, with mm. much Red Bullion on the go. Do you know, people at work um, mm. have started pouring my Red Bull away. Good. Um, when I'm not looking, um, they said I've got a, a caffeine addiction which needs immediate treatment, but nonetheless... Caffeine addiction. Um, did have a cigarette addiction. You've kicked that. Mm. I think that's very, very I've well booted, done. I mean, I've booted the booze and the fags, so the caffeine is the last on the to-do list. I had a major workout with a, with a work colleague um, and it took me four or five days to recover. A major workout. Yeah, we did a serious bicep workout. We did biceps, we did chest, we did back. It was pretty crazy. Sounds like you've taken yourself in to the garage for like an <laughs> MOT or some sort. No, but I was seriously in a lot of pain afterwards. Um, but there's a lot going on with the podcast, Craig. Tell our wonderful listeners about uh, of new team members and this fantastic competition that we have. Yeah, so we've brought somebody in uh, to do some research and mm. development. Maybe not the development part, but the research part. Sounds certainly. more fancy. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Uh, and that's Shivani. Shivani, hello. Welcome to the team. You've done a wonderful job for this week's episode with mm. uh, the research and uh, we couldn't be more happy. More happy? That's, that's, that is we couldn't something. be happier. We couldn't be happier. That's what we were supposed to say uh, to have you on the team. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so, yes, welcome to the team. And, uh, David, do we have a competition? We do. We have a competition where we have this fantastic piece of original artwork, Joker-inspired, created by uh, Toby, who's also on our team. Uh, all you have to do is jump on Twitter, retweet this tweet, like and follow us on Twitter. Not only will you win this fantastic piece of artwork, you will win two tickets to any IMAX in the UK, Cineworld, to see the Joker. Yeah, just just to reiterate that point, it is to any cine world in the UK that has an IMAX. Now, if there isn't an IMAX that's local to you, we will sort you out tickets to see it mm. either in a super screen if it's in super screen or in a standard screen if that's all they have. Mm. Um, but we will get you tickets to see Joker nonetheless. But IMAX is the preference to see yes. this one in, I believe. Um, there was something else that I have for you, actually. Um, let me just go and get it. Hang on. Oh, my word. Not this again. Well, it's not your birthday, so... It isn't my birthday. What's going on? Well, I saw it, and uh, I thought of you when I saw it. I thought you might like it. There you go, mate. Oh, thank you very much. Do you want to describe what it is? It is a pretty horrific but wonderful piece of artwork with the Joker on in a nice black frame. It will look 
quite sensational in my flat. I think you should put it on in your bathroom uh, behind the people... door. So when you're <laughs> having a having a poo, having a poo, I don't poo. Um, I, I just cough. Um, <laughs> what happens after you cough? That's it. I just leave the toilet. That is wonderful. Thank you very much. There's other bits of artwork in there as yeah, well. Yeah, they left my um, office. I will say we will kick off in our, our usual way with the box office rundown in a set. But me and Craig have been together now for about two or three hours. We've been unable to record because all we've been doing is arguing. We have very different opinions about all well, three of these. I wouldn't films. say they're very different opinions, but they, they are, are different, slightly varying in certain aspects. Mm. And and I think it'll be interesting. I think one of the good things about this week's episode is that the films are different, yeah. but they can relate in some respects to each other. They're, yeah, they're very different films, but there's a few themes that run through all of them, actually, um, that yeah. will make it... Yeah, you yeah. just clocked on as to what they are, yeah. um, which will make this week's show very, very interesting, we hope. Um, like all shows that are always very interesting, again, we <laughs> hope. Um, but let's kick off the show in our usual way with... The box office rundown. This is the box office rundown. Brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. That's right, it's the box office rundown for the weekend of September the 27th to the 29th, 2019. David, would you like to kick us off at number 10? I will do. At number 10, we have The Goldfinch, and I'm going to say literally nothing about that because we are reviewing it on today's show. Yes, we are. Uh, at number 9, we have Dora and the Lost City of Gold. And, and as we've said, as it's been in the box office every single week, great film, surprising masterpiece. <laughs> it's not a masterpiece, but it is well worth seeing. Uh, it's, 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 it must still be at the cinema. Yeah, they're still playing. Uh, Cineworld do M4J movies for juniors, and they're on ah. most uh, Saturday nights, uh, Saturday night, Saturday mornings, and Sunday mornings. And you can still see Dora there. Nothing. Yeah, and uh, I would recommend getting it on DVD when it comes out. It is a brilliant film. In at number eight, we have The Lion King. Um, again, both me and Craig have seen this. It's been in the box office for a number of weeks. Um, a brilliant remake of the Disney 1990s classic. Worth checking out. In at number seven, we have Rambo, Last Blood. We we, have lost the will to live today. Uh, (laughs) In at number seven, we have Rambo, Last Blood. And we reviewed this last week. And uh, we thought it was pretty ridiculous, didn't Mm. we? It was... I I quite enjoyed it, but it was terrible. It was terribly, brilliantly, awfully, rubbishly wonderful. It was... was (laughs) Wonderful? Yeah, there was something disastrously great about it. It It was a massive... I can't believe you just used the word wonderful to it describe was, Rambo Last Blood. It was just bizarre. It was terrible, but I enjoyed it. Mm. Well, number six then, David. Number six, we have National Theatre Live, Fleabag. I have absolutely no idea what that is. So Fleabag is the sensational TV show uh, that has been on for many, many, many years now. No, I say many years. It was on, uh, it's been two series. Um, the first one was to absolute critical acclaim and the second one was as well. Uh, but it, it is a theatre adapted play as well, and uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the creator slash star of that show, and she also did the theatre production live as well, uh, and that was uh, played uh, last week, I believe it was, and it was uh, very, very busy, to say the least, at the cinema, uh, sold out in three screens for the day, uh, and it has been, I think it's been a couple, live a couple of times, 
I think this one was pre-recorded uh, and it's obviously made its way into the box office because of that um, so sold out show. Indeed. Craig, what do we have at number five? Uh, number five, we have uh, Ready or Not. So we reviewed this, or oh, I reviewed this last week, didn't I? And uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It was a really fun, um, sort of strange, you know, hide and seek kind mm. of game uh, film. And uh, yeah, very much so enjoyed it. People are obviously going to go and see it or are going to see it uh, as it's uh, in at number five in the box office. Indeed. And at number four, we have It Chapter Two. Uh, both me and Craig saw this. We saw it back to back, actually. We saw It followed by It Chapter Two. If you've seen the first It, I would recommend seeing It Chapter Two in in, in the cinema. Uh, we both said there was a problem with some of the character development in it and it wasn't as good as the first. But nonetheless, if you did like the first, it would be well worth checking out at the cinema. In at number three, then, we have Hustlers. Uh, we reviewed this last week, and uh, this was... I think we had varying opinion on mm. this one, I think. I, I, I wasn't very satisfied with this movie. Um, I thought the first half of the film was okay. Um, it started off with uh, a very, very good scene, I think, and then it just descended into just uh, quite boring, to be honest. I mean, this has had very good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and the audiences alike. Um I don't think it's as good as people think it is, um, but I will say that Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez really hold this film together. I think both of them give very good performances, and there is a lot of Oscar buzz for Jennifer Lopez. So if you like J-Lo, go and check her out. Uh, she's bound to be involved in the award season uh, come February. Yes. Number two, then, David. At number two, we have Ad Astra. I really, really like this film. Uh, I thought Brad Pitt gave one of his best performances of his career, um, probably the best since Moneyball, but he's Brad Pitt's brilliant in everything. It's a real slow, stoic, philosophical space movie. Um, a couple of people that I know went to see it recently, they said it was the most boring film they'd ever seen in their lives, mm. and that will resonate with some people. I loved it. I thought it was visually stunning. I thought it had a great soundtrack uh, and I found it very, very compelling. Craig, you not so much. No, um, I really didn't agree with what you just said there at all. I didn't agree <laughs> with the review. Um, yes, I actually, I do agree with you in, in, some extent, in some senses. And as I said in the review last week, there is so many things to like about mm. this movie, but when you throw them into the pan together and mix them up, it tasted awful. Yeah, uh, I, I like your food yeah, analogies. I do there. like my food analogies. Um, yeah. It's like mixing marmite into the mix with other pieces of very tasty foods, and that, mm. that marmite just ruined it. And the marmite is the story yeah. element of the film. You know, there's great cinematography, there's great acting, there's really great um, visuals in there in terms of um, CGI and space. And mm. I love, I love my space films. I really, really do. Two thousand and one. Um, you know, uh, Interstellar and so on. And this just really, really, really didn't do it for me. It, it, what it did, it, it brought me down the funnel. And as I got to the end of the funnel, I wanted to have my mind blown as I exited the funnel into a black hole into another universe. But there was nothing like that whatsoever. Was it, it just, just, it was just really, a ball pit? Really dis- no, I was just floating in an empty white space and there was nothing there. But nothing. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that movie did to me. It really burnt me out yeah bizarre film that's that's really divided opinion but come award season could be nominated for a number of awards at the top of the pile Craig I can't remember whose turn it is so I'm going to go ahead and say we have Downton Abbey it's my go so it's Downton Abbey brilliant Um, both me and Craig thought that this had the feeling of a Christmas special it felt like an elongated episode nothing really happened it was very slow very British Um, again I put a few spoilers in there would like to apologise if I did ruin uh 
Downton Abbey or Rambo Last Blood for anyone on last week's episode. I got a bit carried away with my spoilers. There will be no spoilers in this week's episode, but Downton Abbey does top the pile. It does. Um... If you are considering going to see it, though, I would say go and see it because actually we were entertained. We did enjoy watching the film. It is just like an elongated television episode of Downton Abbey, um, just with a few probably better camera work, maybe uh, a a few nicer cinematography is a little bit a little bit more filmy. Filmic. Um, I mean, it it always has been filmic on the TV mm. show, though. I just want to add that in there, but it it just was a little bit better and the one thing I will say is I'm convinced this isn't the end for Downton Abbey whether they go back for more series or there is talks of more films um, it certainly can't be the end of the story they've certainly left it open for more things I will now give you the full box office rundown at number 10 The Goldfinch 9 Dora and the Lost City of Gold 8 The Lion King 7 Rambo Last Blood 6 National Theatre Live Fleabag 5 Ready or Not 4. It Chapter 2 3. Hustlers 2. Ad Astra And at the top of the pile, this week is Downton Abbey Just realise there's no Casino Royale Oh yeah! Ah, wonderful It's now time for our first review of this week's episode and we will be looking at Joker. So, what is this film about? Well, it's 1981 in Gotham City. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. A garbage strike sees the city begin to descend into chaos as a plague of super rats makes their presence felt. Arthur Fleck is an unsuccessful clown and an even more unsuccessful comedian. As the film progresses, our mentally troubled protagonist embarks on a downward spiral of social revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his infamous alter ego, the Joker, as we witness the birth of one of film's most controversial characters. Before we jump into our review, let's take a little listen to a clip. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. (laughs) This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. It's so awful, isn't it? For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do. And people are starting to notice. Wow. Well, if you haven't seen The Joker, I certainly hope that clip has wet your appetite. Um, 
what am I going to say to start this review off? Well, let's talk about how this film has been received by the critics and by the audience alike. Um, it got a great reception at the Venice Film Festival where it won the Golden Lion and received, I think, a six or seven minute standing ovation. And as we said earlier, it's arrived... A six or seven minute standing ovation? Yeah. That's actually quite a long time yeah, to be standing <laughs> up clapping. It's a very Literally, long time. I can't clap for 30 no, seconds before it, I get tired. It received a, a, a really good reception... Um, and it smashed the box office. So it's taken £93.5 million in the US, £140 million elsewhere. That's a total of $234 million globally. And it makes it the biggest October release of all time. And I will say that is 100% justified because I'm going to go straight off the bat and say that I absolutely adored this film. I loved everything about it. Uh, and I want to kick off... Um, my review by talking about Joaquin Phoenix. Our review. Did I say my? You did. Okay, our review. I'm our so sorry, review. Craig. I'm so passionate about this film. <laughs> um, our review. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is sensational. There's loads of Oscar buzz surrounding him in his role as the Joker, and rightly so. It is a physical... Sorry, I just wanted to say something. He's not the Joker in this movie. He is Arthur Fleck. Yeah. And I think, I think as an origin story... You you have to look at it as as that yeah oh, and, no no and, no and Joaquin Phoenix is as you'll go out to say is sensational yes but he is as you say he's Arthur Fleck but what we see is how he becomes the Joker but to become Arthur Fleck originally um, he lost fifty two pounds uh, to put that into perspective that's twenty three kilograms or if you work in stone that's three point seven stone he looks almost skeletal uh, in this film he looks really really thin he looks like a spooky scary skeleton <laughs> but that isn't so. Brilliant, you know, he's physically transformed, but it's his whole... This is a creepy, dark, intense, layered performance mm. by Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, I've always liked Joaquin Phoenix. I thought he was brilliant in Signs. I thought he was superb when he played Johnny Cash in Walk the Line. He was obviously brilliant in Gladiator. I thought he was completely ignored for his performance in You Were Never Really Here yep. um, last year or the year before. This is going to go down as one of his most iconic performances ever. And this is a this is a character um arthur fleck and how arthur fleck becomes the joker that trust me people are going to be talking about in 20 30 years time and i'm sure you'll agree joaquin phoenix was sensational yeah yeah no uh, yeah he, he was absolutely sensational it is and it's it's the physicality of the role that he he embodies that character and that's what he does with all of his films he becomes the people that he is playing so he does he's no longer Joaquin Phoenix when mm. he's playing these roles I mean we saw that from You Were Never Really Here which was one of my favourite films of last year um, I mean you haven't you didn't see The Sisters Brothers but he was fantastic in that as well he was even good in Mary Magdalene which was a pretty unsuccessful I mean, film it was very unsuccessful and he was playing Jesus in yeah. that movie I mean that's a pretty tough role I actually didn't think that he did a very good job as playing Jesus in that film <laughs> um, I think you can listen back to our review of that mm many moons ago but it was i thought it was pretty dire not his performance but mainly the whole film yeah. as well but but yeah um but this is directed by todd phillips yeah. um todd phillips um directed old school the hangover war dogs war dogs yeah. which i really 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 enjoyed yeah mm. yeah war dogs though was actually one of the, his better films and then we suddenly get joker yeah which is very different mm. in terms of story i suppose yeah and it's actually probably his best film without oh, by a mile by a long long mile but in this in in terms of 
comparing it to some of his previous work, like The Hangover, it's bold. Yeah, it's exactly it's brash. It's mm. it's to the point, um, and it doesn't skip any beats whatsoever. Mm. It will just go for it, and it's the same as The Hangover. It's yeah. the same as you know all the other films that he he does. It's Todd Phillips all yeah. over, really, isn't it? There's there's no subtlety. It's very in your face. It has a very clear message, a mm. very layered message, but it's very macho and in your face. Um, he's he's a a really ambitious uh, director. Um, I think he does a great job on this. Uh, the cinematography, Craig, on this film um, was just beautiful. I mean, I think since doing this podcast, this is one of the most pleasing films on the eye. And you wouldn't think it, an origin story about Arthur Fleck, about the origin of the Joker, um, a DC film, a Warner Brothers film, apparently a standalone film, but it really has been left open, particularly after these box office numbers, for a lot, lot more. Mm. But you wouldn't think uh, a film directed by Todd Phillips, who's done The Hangover, a standalone DC film, and DC have had a habit of making some pretty bad films. Uh, look at what they did to the Joker in Suicide Squad. I felt sorry mm-hmm. for Gerard Leto there. I think I think we can't blame DC here. I think the the per, the, the production company or the picture house that you're going to have to put blame on here is Warner Brothers. So mm. they have the rights to the DC comic films and Warner Brothers have done a shocking job at creating a cinematic universe. Ranjit yep. is uh, not very happy with, with the way that they've handled most things, mm. but you you have to look at some of these films and think and and wonder what makes them work and what doesn't. So you have Wonder Woman, which was absolutely fantastic. Then you compare that with Aquaman, which was absolutely dreadful. Mm. Then you compare and long. that and very long. And then you compare that to the Justice League. Uh, and then you compare that to the more recent films from DC with with Joker. And it's mm. it's it's very strange how they've taken a, a, the Joker film and put that as a standalone thing and then it's fantastic and it feels like you're sort of wondering why they're going in these directions to 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 their sort of dc universe Mm. is they're splitting things up now yeah they have really split it up it's got quite messy but i would love to see um a a sequel to this but the cinematography i'm sure you'll agree in this is is mesmerizing some of the the camera angles some of the high shots some of the low shots yeah it it really brings out the best in joaquin phoenix's performance lawrence sure who's the cinematography on this and he's collaborated with todd phillips on uh, the hangover and war dogs so he's chosen to shoot this film on 35mm, on 70mm and digital film. So this is a great film to go and see in the IMAX because it is shot mm. for larger format screens so such as IMAX and Superscreen and, and, and other uh, uh, screens that, are, that accept that sort of format. And it's definitely a very pleasing film to the eye in terms of cinematography um, and very enjoyable. Now, I think this is where our... Uh, um, our vision of this film sort of change. So you f- you feel that this is a bit of a masterpiece, yes. don't you? Yeah. I don't think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a great, great film. Um, and I again, I think this sort of film has a lot going for it as in terms of cinematography. It's kind of like Ad Astra for me. Mm. Maybe a bit better than Ad Astra in terms of my enthusiasm for it. Um, but I, there's something wrong with the story. Now, I think it's because I'm a bit more of a comic book fan. Mm. I, I like Batman. I like the Joker. Um, and I preferred Heath Ledger's performance. Now, and why? Because it's it's more in line with the comics. With the comics. Um, and I want to see a, a DC cinematic universe that works. And if they are now bringing a now new standalone Batman to the, to the front now, you know, Ben Affleck's gone. Robert Patterson's coming in. Could they 
incorporate this Joker with 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 the new Batman film? Possibly, but they won't because mm. this is a standalone film. And will it be a standalone film though? But that is the question. But will Joaquin Phoenix do another one? Probably not. No. And and the thing is, because this was an origin story, we we don't with no spoilers here, but we don't really see the Joker be born until the last sort of half an hour of the film. The first 60, 70 percent of film is looking at Arthur Fleck, this mentally unwell person that isn't getting the help and support that he needs mm. from anyone, from society. Um, and and we see him unraveling. And this isn't a this isn't a slow descent into madness. This is a headfirst dive into insanity. Like things are unravel very very quickly and it is a shocking film it is very rare that i sit in the cinema and my mouth is open and that's what i got with this i was shocked this was not cringy this was like wow i am seeing something something revolutionary here something chilling something deeply disturbing um and it's that it's the, it's the undertones of 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 the politicalness yeah. uh, that that i think are quite shocking because it is doing something that I think you've said this before to me that is challenging our view on society yeah. and and you know what I for the first time round when I watched it I didn't quite get mm. that and perhaps that's because I watched it at 12am after a couple of beers <laughs> uh, in me uh, and perhaps I didn't get mm. quite enough of what was was needed for it but this is a man who is a, a, a essentially a, a vengeful victim mm. of society and becomes a symbolic uprise yeah. of for for the for the political uh, nature of, and, of this and film it, and it becomes very much rich versus poor us versus them uh, the downtrodden versus the you know the people at the top mm. versus the people at the bottom and there's something about this film and there's been a lot of con- controversy in this film because of the very strong violence and it isn't the strong gory violence in the film it's the undertones around it and underneath it look at quentin tarantino he does much more in your face violence look at rambo last blood violence for the sake of violence doesn't upset the critics or the establishment that's because they're gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous but this was there was movement to it Mm. there was there was uh uh, uh, the undertones there was the the there's reason behind it, yeah. and and this is where critics, I think, some people are saying it's sensational, and the others that are saying that it's not, it's because they are worried about what's mm. going to happen when people watch this. Is this going to incite violence mm. because of the nature of 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 how the Joker is being presented as a symbolic figure? Yeah, and I think that is something to be concerned about. Mm. I think. But is it is it going to incite this these things? I, I you know I couldn't I can't really say I really I, can't. I, I've I've said to people off off air that I think it's a very smelly way to justify America's shambolic gun control. You know, if someone goes out and commits a mass shooting now, it's oh it was the Joker's fault. That's nonsense, and that's that's a a completely different argument. But because there is violence that has a social commentary behind it, a political commentary, because there's themes of mental illness and rich versus poor, people are concerned about this film. But it is making people want to go and see it. I have never seen since doing this podcast so many people at the cinema. You know, I went to see an 8.40 showing last night. It was pretty much sold out. My brother's seen this film twice. He had to travel in Manchester to a different theatre. This is selling out because people are talking about this film. Whether you love it or hate it, it is getting people talking. Yeah, this weekend was one of the busiest weekends Mm. I've ever seen at the cinema. It was, you know, there were queues relentlessly out of the door almost for three, four hours straight. And that wasn't just to see the Joker. Mm. There were other films on. But 
majority of people were going to see Joker. Yeah. And that's saying something for an October release, yeah. for it to be this busy. Mm. I think next week's box office rundown is going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting. But I was going to just say before you expand on this point, mm. because we were sort of talking about other critics and what they were saying. So there's we've got a list here of a few other, mm. cri- what critics have been saying. And like the New York Times has basically said that this is a violent, hyper-realistic movie and it's potentially dangerous. Uh, uh, that uh, you know, that is quite something to say. I mean, he does go on to say that rather than criti- uh, critiquing the social failings that have given rise to America's mass shooting crisis, the film legitimizes such atrocities and could provoke more of them. That's quite yeah. da- damning but, review. There. But, but this is the problem, and that's from the New York Times. Yeah. Obviously, this is set in Gotham, basically New York. It is it is controversial and it is something that is dividing people and it's going to be really interesting. We're going to focus a lot more on this film in Road to the Oscars because it's going to be a film that's generated a lot of Oscar buzz on the back of that Golden Lion win at Venice. Will the Academy nominate this? And if they do nominate it, will it win? Probably not Best Picture, but will Joaquin Phoenix get nominated and ultimately will he win? Or will that be seen as justifying the violence in this film? Mm. You know, that is a fairly damning review um, from the New York Times but Empire says bold, devastating and utterly beautiful. What I was going to say, Craig, is we talk about how it divides people. We've always said this is a podcast where we want to get listeners more involved. One of our regular listeners, Paul Newbegin, um, went to see this film and he sent us an audio clip. So let's have a little listen to that and then we'll jump back into our review. Both loved the film and was completely underwhelmed by the film at the same time. Whacking Phoenix gives one of the most detailed and extraordinary performances that I've ever seen. And the soundscape is just sensational. There's those bits where he's sat in the office and there's the phone ringing and they keep using that motif and that was incredible. And it's completely different to any other film that I've ever seen in that genre of superhero, supervillain. It's more of a character study on him and his psychosis, and it's almost a one-man show. But there's something that underwhelmed me about it, and I don't know what. So uh, that was our uh, lovely listener, Paul Newbegin, a regular listener, sending us a lovely little clip there, um, describing the film and how what he thought of it. And I understand, I... I very much so understand where he's coming from on that one because I actually tend to agree with that. Um, it is a character study and it overwhelms and underwhelms at, at exactly the same time. And I think the underwhelming is the fact that this isn't the Joker that we somewhat know. Uh, there have been so many incarnations of the Joker before. Uh, I mean, the best one, number one for me, is without a single doubt, Heath Ledger, mm. who was awarded the posthumous Oscar for for the, this very role. Mm. And, you know, does that mean Joaquin Phoenix can win the Oscar as well? Can, can, will he win the Oscar for this performance? Will he, I, I don't know. And I don't know if there can be another winner for... The Joker. I mean, it's difficult to say, but the underwhelmingness is definitely got something to do with the fact that this is a character that we know, mm. and it's a, and the story just doesn't quite add up with that. But it's an origin story. Like I said, for 70, 80% of the film, it is Arthur Fleck. Um, and I don't want to put... Yeah, but I, I get that. I get that that's Arthur Fleck. But this is not the Arthur Fleck that... that 
comic book fans know yes, yeah. and relate to in terms of being Batman, mm. not arch nemesis. Yeah. Well, this this is what I want to talk about. You know, I respect Paul. He knows what he's talking about. When he says it's slightly underwhelming, obviously that's how he feels. For me, it didn't feel underwhelming. It, it's just very, very heavy. And Joaquin Phoenix is literally on screen the whole time. And it's very hard to watch this man descend into madness to see various things unfold in his life. And you think things can't get any worse for this man. And, you know, slowly but surely they do. Well, actually, quite quickly, they do get worse for him. But there's no balance in the film. Normally, in these kind of films, you have good versus evil. All we have here is the evil. We don't have a Batman. We don't have a Batman to swoop in and save the day. We don't have any sense of hope. There is no sense of hope in this film because there is no Batman. Would you actually say it's evil, though? Well, without spoilers, some of the things that happen in this film, you can't describe it anything other than evil, really. Um, it's a descent into madness, and the Joker is an evil character. You know, Heath Ledger's Joker is chaotic, but there is a sense of evil. There's, in, a, there's a sense of evil, intellectual... Mm. Uh, things going on with Heath Ledger's one where he's he's causing chaos for the sake of causing chaos. Yeah. Now, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker doesn't feel like he's doing that. He doesn't feel intelligent like the other Jokers have been before. He doesn't feel like he's going to be someone who's causing the chaos for the sake of causing mm. the chaos. He's doing these things because sometimes he just happens upon it. Mm. Sometimes it's because he has an awakening and realises that something needs to change. And this is where we come back to that political, insightful... Mm. Is it going to cause insight violence? Because he's, he's almost standing for something where mm. the other Jokers do not. Yeah, They are just literally causing chaos for the sake of causing chaos. Yeah, and throughout the film, he talks about how he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his direction. Once he becomes the Joker, that's when he really knows where he is. And there's that one scene where he's dancing down the down those stairs in Gotham. And that's a really iconic scene. And I think people will look back on that in, in years to come and go, wow, that is where Joaquin Phoenix burst onto the scene and became the Joker. And it's important to know that two or three other times in that film, we see him walking up the stairs trudging up the stairs looking sad one time carrying his medication looking lost and confused one thing he does do is when he comes dancing down those stairs he knows exactly who he is and how he has become the joker for me this is like three films mashed into one um there's an element of martin scorsese's taxi driver there's elements of martin scorsese's king of comedy you can compare arthur fleck to rupert pupkin if you haven't seen the king of comedy i urge you to watch it after or before seeing the joker oh god i i did a i did an you arthur, swallow your tongue <laughs> i did an arthur fleck there and just started choking we will touch upon that as well uh, and also american psycho starring christian bale those three films taxi driver king of comedy and american psycho i can see those themes mm being pushed into this film. Um, I'm so delighted that Joaquin Phoenix, who'd ref who turned down uh, other roles in superhero or supervillain films, I'm so pleased he took this role on. There was actually rumour of Leonardo DiCaprio um, starring in this film. I can't see that. Uh, I, I could see it because Leo's brilliant in everything, but I'm so glad Joaquin Phoenix took this role on. I think this is... 100% an Oscar-worthy performance. For me, it is the standout performance of the year so far by some, some way. Okay. Well, I don't think I have much more to say on this film, you know. I think it's time to ask questions. Yep. David, Joker, is it worth it? 
Absolutely. Um, I think this, I mean, people are saying that this is a masterpiece. And one thing that you'll notice is when you go on Facebook or Twitter and you read all the comments, there are loads of um, words being thrown out for it. I've written a few down. It's dark, chilling, disturbing, raw, brutal, psychotic, iconic, revolutionary, gritty. Um, It's potentially a modern masterpiece i think it's one of the best films i've seen since doing this podcast i've seen it twice already um the only other films that i've seen more than once in the cinema three billboards three billboards outside ebbing missouri which i went back and saw two more times and a star is born which i saw three more times i've already seen the joker twice Uh, i haven't seen it in imax yet i'm going to take my dad to see it in imax this is the must watch film of the year it's fantastic uh, I don't match your enthusiasm with the film, but that nonetheless, I do think this film is worth it. I think it's worth seeing in the IMAX. I think it's worth seeing because of the cinematography. I think the story, despite it having some downfalls, I think it is very, very, very good still. Um, and I think Joaquin Phoenix's performance is one of the best of the year, mm. without a doubt. Uh, whether he can win that Oscar is another question, but we will discuss that in more detail on Road to the Oscars, uh, which David is going to come out at the end of this month, I yep. should hope. Yes, um, it will. And and uh, if you if you don't remember hearing in the uh, beginning in the introduction, there is a wonderful competition going on that involves uh, the Joker movie. Uh, if you want to win two tickets to see the Joker or Joker, shall I say, in any cine world in the UK, uh, in IMAX or if there is no IMAX available in uh, normal screens, uh, then all you need to do is head on over to our Twitter account, retweet and follow and like the post and uh, you will be entered into the competition. But not only that. You will win a print that is designed by none other than our wonderful graphic designer, Toby, who has done a sensational job on creating this exclusive piece of artwork. Uh, So, yes, get on there, do the bits that you need to do, and uh, you may win. Uh, We will announce the winner on Friday, the 11th of October. I believe that's right, but the 11th of October for the competition winner. And that was our review of the sensational Joker. It's now time for our second review, but before we get on to that, a couple of quick things. Firstly, I did forget to mention the Rotten Tomato scores for Joker. I just wanted to include those very quickly. It gets a 90% score from the audience and a 69% score from the critics. The interesting thing about that critic score is, as more and more critics are reviewing it, this uh, critic score is starting to go down. There is a lot of controversy surrounding this film. I just wanted to mention that and the fact that the critic score is going down. Also, I forgot to uh, mention the soundtrack which I think is sensational, spine-tingling and Oscar-worthy. Craig, what have we just done? Because I I really enjoyed that little break. (laughs) (laughs) I I baked David a a potato. He did, but this was a potato like no other. It was well-seasoned. It had Chinese spices on it. Chinese five spices. Five spice. Not just one spice, but five. It was was delicious. There was a a nice butter on there. Wonderful. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Now you're feeling well-fed. You've got coffee on your hand. I have more more coffee. Ram it down your face. So yeah, on the back of the Joker, it's now time for our second review, which is Judy. Craig, take it away. Okay, so Judy, what is Judy about? Well, 30 years after starring in The Wizard of Oz, beloved actress and singer Judy Garland arrives in London to perform a sold-out show at the Talk of the Town nightclub uh, with her ex-husband Sid Luft, uh, played by Rufus Swell, uh, demanding custody of her children and with Judy struggling to pay a $4 million Wow. Tax bill. Uh, this descent into the last six months of her life depicts a fragile and emotional, ab- emotionally abused woman performing a perception of herself. Uh, let's have a little listen to a clip. 
No. Come on. No, Sid. Judy. No. No. I'm working harder than you would ever believe. Are you? And right now, my husband is making a deal for me that means I can start over. You're not listening. I have someone I can rely on now. Someone who's helping me make money instead of losing it at the track. Can we not? I'm going to get a place, and they're going to live with me. I don't want them on stage with me. I don't want them in this phony business, and I don't want them anywhere near the bastards who run it. But you have to let me be with them, Sid. I'm a good mother. So there's a clip from Judy. Uh, I saw this about two days ago, actually. Or no, it was yesterday. And <laughs> it has left me feeling quite emotionally drained. I I found this movie very, very moving uh, to the point, actually, where there were certain points in there that I was, I, I was genuinely brought to tears. Um, so the movie then, what is it about? Well, it's based on a, a stage play, um, which says a lot. I think this is a very theatrical film, um, and I think Rennie Zellweger, Zellweger's performance is is quite theatrical as well. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think actually that's a very very good thing because the best part of this film is, without a single doubt, the performance that Rennie Zellweger brings to the table here. And I think she is almost guaranteed a nomination for the Oscars, mm. uh, and I think we will expand on that in uh, our next episode of Road to the Oscars. Um, but it's. It's one another one of those films uh, where you can compare it to films like Stan and Ollie. Now, it's washed up Hollywood actors or stars that need to make a bit more money and they have to go to London to try and, and, and get it. And it's very similar in that sense, in that mm. story there. Um, and, you know, they, they need to reinvigorate a career out of by simply coming to perform in London. Mm. I thought that was that was uh, a, bit, a bit strange in terms of the similarity there. But then there's other biopics as well where we are literally left with a significant point in, in an actor or actress's life um, that sort of a lot of things happen in that in that point of time. And I felt there was similarities again with, with One Week with Marilyn, uh, which is uh, Michelle Williams plays Marilyn Monroe and she comes to England again and she ends up having this affair with uh, Colin Mark who's played by Eddie Redmayne uh, and Kenneth Branagh stars in there as Sir Laurence Olivier and again it's another one of those films however this one was very sad and very moving and very intense in terms of the emotionally charged nature of the film and yeah I was really really sad when I walked out of this film really really sad yeah, I know what you mean. I'll be honest. I went into this film not expecting much. I'd seen the trailer. And actually, of all the trailers I've seen this year, that trailer is probably the biggest spoiler trailer I've ever seen. Because there are some c- clips in that trailer that are literally some of the endings, end scenes in this film. So that was a little bit disappointing. I didn't go in expecting a lot. I thought... Rene Zellweger was unrecognisable. Um, when I actually f- saw the trailer and found out it was Rene Zellweger, I thought, wow, that's some serious transformation. Um, I mean, Craig was emotionally moved by it. I mean, it gets some, for a, a relatively low budget film, it gets a brilliant uh, critical reception on Rotten Tomatoes with a score of 83%. 87% of the audience like it. Although I would imagine that most people who are going to see this film know a lot about Judy Garland and are really interested in her story. So they want to see this film. If you're not a Judy Garland, 
Bond fan, it's probably not the kind of film you would see unless you're like us and go out of your way to see all of the films, including the bad ones, so the listeners don't have to. Um, <laughs> I just felt they played it very, very safe with this film. I just felt it was quite average cliche and a little bit unambitious i felt that stan and ollie was was better um i agree stan and ollie was better but this 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 handled things a little bit differently yeah in the sense that it didn't want to give everything to you on a plate it didn't have to have Mm. people saying things so obviously to the character to make you know what's going on things were portrayed in her performance and in her face and in the way that she said things every movement of her mouth every quiver of the eyebrow you know really told you a lot about how she was feeling and how what was going on yes they threw in those flashbacks that actually meant a quite a lot it really did tell you a lot about where she started and how she started Mm. and why she is the person that she is today in that sense of where you're seeing her in the current time period and i think I think that's, that was needed. Yeah. The flashbacks to 1930s Hollywood when she was starring in The Wizard of Oz was really needed. Um, I went into this film knowing a little bit about Judy Garland. It's, it's almost common knowledge that she was treated appallingly when she was only, I think, 15 or 16 on the set of Wizard of Oz. Um I don't know whether this is true, but I remember reading somewhere that she was forced to smoke 40 cigarettes a day, uh, drink black coffee, take dieting pills. We don't so much see her smoking as a youngster in this film. We certainly see her smoking when she's older. She's constantly smoking, very thin and very withered. And I was absolutely shocked to find out that she she passed away at the age of 47 and because she looks a lot older in this film. Rennie Zellweger looks a lot older, but then I looked up some photos of... Um, Judy Garland when she was older and she was she was quite weathered. She Rennie, Rennie Zellweger is fifty years old mm. and she's turned fifty years old on the fiftieth anniversary yeah. of Judy Garland's death, mm. which is something really you know it's significant there. And uh, you know what she does look very young and and I think to be fair, actresses and actors these days do look young, you know in their fifties. Mm. It's just but something, she doesn't look young in this. No, she tra- she's transformed yeah. and looks almost comparable mm. to Julie Garland yeah. at the same age but not again so. a, bit, a bit like Joaquin Phoenix in our previous review she's yeah. lost she's lost um a bit of weight and that that's where the similarity is she has a really you know it's always difficult when you have these rich people and they have this woe is me story and you see her in rocket man for example Elton John but at the end of the day depression doesn't care how much money you have and addiction doesn't care how much money you have and what you see here is a woman in the midst of addiction she's addicted to sleeping pills she's addicted to cigarettes she's addicted to up uppers as well she seems to take a lot of pills to bring her up and pills to bring her down she's addicted to cigarettes all she really wants to do is spend time with her children but unfortunately, she hasn't got the money. If you burn the candle at both ends, if you're a big Hollywood star and you make millions and millions of pounds, that's all very well and good. But if you spend millions and millions of pounds, mm. and she's almost homeless at the start of the film. She's living in hotels. She's traveling around with her children. She has, you know, there's no place like home. Wizard mm. of Oz is one of her. I'd love them to have used that. That's one of the iconic lines in The Wizard of Oz. And she literally doesn't have a home. And what we see when she gets on that stage, that is her home, but it's a home where she doesn't really want to be. She com- she becomes the Judy Garland that people want to see on the stage, but sh- she never really gets to be herself. And that's really difficult to watch mm. and see this brilliant actress, this brilliant singer, basically wither away. Yeah, and I think the film does something really well and it separates out that performer 
from the real mum sort of woman that you you see who she really is or was or could have been or you know behind closed doors almost and you know it might not be an accurate depiction of that but it really gave you a sense of what was going on and if you don't know the Judy Garden story at all then this is going to be something that is going to you know educate you in a in a way and and inform and it will certainly i think bring a, a tears to your eyes yeah. and i i think anybody who hasn't cried in the film mm. you know has been moved in some way i mean there's definitely there's, there's so many scenes um in the film that are very very moving and one in particular is is these two uh fans of hers who who go out of their way to see all of her performances, more or less, <laughs> uh, even the bad ones. Yes, so, they do. Yeah, uh, j- just for their own sakes, because they are such big fans. Mm. And there's this beautiful, beautiful moment where actually they become friends, and they, you know, they do this wonderful thing for her near but, the end of the film that is just so moving and so wonderful. It's so that scene. I know the scene you're referring to. Again, not many spoilers, but that it's so cliche. And it shouldn't work. It's so cheesy. But actually, it's one of the best moments of the film because you see Judy Garland almost relax and be herself in a in a casual environment with these fans. There's that element of trust, you know, that she goes to their house. And that was really beautiful. And there's another scene where she's in London and she calls her daughter and she's on the phone. And her daughter's basically staying with her ex-husband. And you know um judy garland wants wants her children back but she basically has to say look if you want to stay with your dad while i make money i'm okay with that and she starts to tear up and that's a really moving performance um zelwig is great the one thing i didn't think the film did brilliantly was capture that 1960s la for example like quentin tarantino did in once upon a time in hollywood i know there was only a bit of that at the start of the film and also the that era of london as well i didn't quite think they captured that well enough it didn't feel like a period piece and i think that could have been done slightly better i think um, i think you're right in some senses but i think they the locations that they've chosen they're very easy going downplay you don't have much to incorporate there in terms of trying to bring that sense of what era it is what what defines it is the clothing what defines it is is the cinematography and the lighting and all those sorts of things that try and define the era and and I think I think they did a good job in that in that sense. Um, you know, other noticeable things that were in the film, Jessie Buckley. Yeah, she's one the wonderful Jessie Buckley from Wild Rose that we really really loved. I think she was a she did a really understated performance actually. Mm. Like it wasn't she wasn't given much opportunity, was she? Really? No, but what I, she did was solid. What she did do again, it was the emotion. You, it was in her face. You mm. saw it. There's a particular scene near the end where you can really see her portray somebody who is has been moved and and there's no no dialogue is needed for that and I, I this is why I love this film because it doesn't hold you by the hand and I say this so often about films that we review on here Hollywood films like to hold you or mainstream films love to hold you by the hand and show you exactly where you need to go exactly where you need to look at what exact exact time and literally vocally tell you what needs to be mm. done as well and I don't like that about films. I don't. And and this one didn't do that so much. And that's why I really like it, I think, as well. It it was quite sad, though, wasn't it? Uh, very much so. Very I mean, much so. W- w- it, it, it was deeply sad and depressing. Um, but at the same time, I almost feel like one of the last things I want to say is I almost feel like they 
treading on eggshells when it came to her addictions. So throughout the whole film, we saw her smoking. We saw her drinking heavily. We saw how thin she was. But they never really went out and said, like they did in Rocket Man. Rocket Man was very open. Elton John almost said, I'm an alcoholic. She never made that commitment. I don't know if she made that commitment in real life. But I just felt like they wanted to show Judy Garland on a on a descent whilst at the same time paying homage to her and i just didn't think that quite worked i kind of disagree with that comment i think what they did there was allow us to see a judy garland who was conditioned to think that what she was doing was kind of all right mm. you know she at the big, you know you see her in the flashbacks being told that she has to take this has to do that yeah. have to do this have to do that this is the way you if you want to be judy garland the star you need to do this and listen to me do that and as she's got older she's she hasn't realized that she's broken out of that exactly she is she has to take the sleeping pill she has to take these uppers she has to do these things because she's judy garland mm. and it's it's trying to break herself out of being that perception of the star that people see in in the mm. forefront and she and she's trying to just simply be a mother that's all she wants to be yeah. and and I think they did a good job of not allowing her to come out and say I am an alcoholic I am this I am that even though it is mentioned by another character along the lines and it's not you're an alcoholic it's 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 an emotionally charged scene mm. that alludes to the fact that what he's saying is you drink too much. Yeah. And I liked that. I don't think it needed to be so obvious mm. at all. And we, I mean, we do have a physician as well who examines her and basically tells her she's not very well. Yeah. And, and I again, gives her a vitamin injection, which from experience is when you're drinking a lot, you're not actually getting enough vitamins. So you do get these vitamin injections. Overall, it was a very watchable film. Uh, I just don't think I enjoyed it as much as Craig. No, I don't think I don't think you did at all. <laughs> the enthusiasm here is not on par to the, what you've uh, said about Joker. But that's fine. That's what the podcast is all about. And I like it when we not disagree, but we have differing differ. Mm. We differ on opinion. And I felt the ending was a little bit cheesy and it didn't really work as as nice and cute and fluffy as it was. It it just didn't feel like it fit in with the rest of the film. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but if you watch the film, it'd be interesting to what to, to know what people think of the ending scene. I disagree. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> we have slightly disagreed on this film, but we may agree whether it's worth it. So I'm going to ask you the question first. Craig, Judy, is it worth it? Yes, this is a, a really, really wonderful film to see in the cinema. Um, it's a highly educated film in terms of allowing you, the listener... Uh, who are going to go and see it, I'm sure, uh, understand a bit more about the uh, Judy Garland and, and uh, those last six months before her her death. And um, I think I defy anybody to go and see this film and, and not become emotional from what you see. For you, is it worth it? Yes, Craig, I'm going to say this film is worth it. It reminds me a lot of Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour. I think Darkest Hour had its faults. Um, it certainly wasn't a flawless film. I think this is the same. But like Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman's brilliant portrayal of Winston Churchill, I think Rennie Zellweger, who's not really been on the, the Hollywood scene for a number of years, she has won an Academy Award before. I think she, like Joaquin Phoenix, I think she's a slam dunk nomination. And at the moment, she is the one to beat. And we will most definitely touch upon that more in Road to the Oscars. But yeah, Judy, it has its problems. But overall, it's a film worth seeing. And that's our review of Judy. I hope you're enjoying week 37 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review podcast. Uh, our next review is called The Goldfinch. David, 
What is it about? Well, The Goldfinch is the film adaptation of Donna Tartt's globally acclaimed bestseller of the same name, which won the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and spent more than 30 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. Theodore Decker was 13 years old when his mother was killed in a bombing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and this tragedy changes the course of his life forever. A roller coaster of emotions emerge with everything from grief and guilt to reinvention and redemption. Through it all, he holds holds on to one tangible piece of hope from that awful day. A painting of a tiny bird chained to its perch, the goldfinch. I believe it would be beneficial if we had a little listen to a clip. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm leaving before people start showing up. Come with me. Where? New York. What? I can't stay here with her. Because of what she said? She's in mess, Porter. I feel sorry for her. Don't. We should plan this. Crazy to go tonight. I can't stay here. She'll put me in a home, you understand that? Look, I'm a minor. I've got no family, no friends out here. We have to go now. And uh, that was a clip from uh, a sort of a, a kind of trader clip, I suppose, um, which uh, I, I must say that throughout that clip, there were if you haven't seen the visual part of that, there's lots of quotes that come up from a review uh, or from multiple reviews, as I've as I thought. Uh, and the first the first one says stunning. The second says sensational. The third says the goldfinch uh, soars as one of the best films or f- finest films of the year. Um, and I didn't realize, but that all comes from one review. <laughs> one reviewer, Peter Pete Hammond from Deadline. Mm. Uh, and I've got written in my notes here, Pete Hammond, Deadline, lol. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that the trailer clip has four words, stunning, sensational, and they're all from the one same reviewer, really does sum this film up. And that's something that I will touch upon. Yes. So... I think to kick it off, let's say there's a lot of things to like about this movie. Starting, first of all, with the cast. We have a sensational yep. cast here. Uh, starting with uh, Ansel Elgert, who is one of my favourite actors at the minute. He starred in the more recently Baby Driver, and before that The Fault in Our Stars, and before that uh, Divergent, uh, and so on. And um, I think he's a really wonderful actor. And in this, he's he's... Okay, yeah. um, I thought he was he was pretty good, but I feel like there's something wrong with the script. Something wrong with the script here that's allowed him to have a, a bit of a strange performance going on. I think even Nicole Kidman can't even save this film to some extent. She does try. And she does try very, very, very yeah. hard. I mean, Nicole Kidman is sensational anyway. I mean, yeah, she, she should have been nominated for an Oscar for uh, Destroyer, one of, yeah. one of my favourite films of last year. I don't know why that went... Don't know, don't know, I'm repeating myself. It's like something's wrong with me. I think there's so much coffee going on or something. Oh, God, I'm highly stimulated. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you just had a panic attack live on the air. You hadn't mentioned the Destroyer at all. When? You just said I keep repeating myself. You didn't. Oh no, no, no! It just sounded like uh, my voice. I keep. I don't know. Something's gone wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Are you okay to continue? Yes. Carry on. I think you had a point anyway. That was going to yeah, come no, out your mouth. <laughs> Good lord! Maybe lay off the coffee a bit. He's having some more. Um, I think the performances are of some quality, uh, especially the young Theo, uh, played by Oakes Fegley. Um, I think he's very, very talented. I think he gives a really good performance. You actually hear him in the clip there. Um, 
Nicole Kidman is superb, but when is Nicole Kidman not superb? Um, it's nicely shot. It's it's very pleasing on the eye, but it, it never feels quite right. Uh, quite right, you know. It's so heavy. Um, it's got these such philosophically heavy characters, um, and it's in desperate need of of some some light-hearted humour. And it does have that, and some humour does come in, and some relief does come in from this really melodramatic heavy plot and then as soon as something good happens something 10 times worse happens immediately afterwards do you know what i mean yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean but going a little bit back to to sort of like the cinematography point mm. you were kind of making there this is this is a wonderful cinematographer it's roger deacons who you know director of blade runner uh, sorry cinematographer for blade runner 2049 hell caesar sicario uh prisoners mm. and skyfall as well and so i mean this is proof in the pudding that this is a mm. really beautifully visually appealing film that is something great to look at but yet something is not quite right i mean yeah. halfway through the film i started to just not care anymore yeah and you really need to care about these characters because this is a real character study here yep. especially for uh you know our main our main protagonist here who's going through so much we flip between past and, and present continuously and you just don't care halfway through you're yeah, like I, I just don't understand why i don't care though is it because it's just so heavy and it is so very heavy it's not emotionally charged either it's just yeah. it's just the plot is mm. very heavy in terms of it's as you said philosophical and yeah. and uh, yeah for me it's it's very pretentious it's over ambitious whilst at the same time being underwhelming and the amazing thing about this film is it's both too long far too long but at the same time, not long enough. It feels like yes. nothing actually happens. It feels like this would be better as an eight-part BBC drama or an eight-part Sky Atlantic drama. Because one thing I'd like to mention is the book, the the source material was 800 pages. So it's a hell of a big book. So trying to get a book of that size into a film of this length is very, very difficult. Yes, exactly. And I've got this written down here. Uh, it's like they're cramming so many elements from the novel in into the film that they've rushed some of it, slowed other bits down. And then from what I've heard, like the novel is just a bit of a slow burner. And, and for every page that you turn, that you're desperate to find out what's going to happen. And to me... I think that this may have worked so much better as a, as a TV adaptation instead across a number of different episodes. Yeah. You know, one-hour episodes across eight episodes or something. Yeah. You know, an eight-hour slow burner that you're constantly trying to wonder what's going to happen instead of cramming so mm. much into just one two-hour two film, two and hours and 29-minute film yeah. is the runtime written down here. Christ, that's long. <laughs> and and, and half you, halfway through, you do feel like you just want to mm. walk out. It, it's, it is difficult because it tries to be a slow burner. The way I describe this film is it feels like a car that's on the verge of stalling. You know when you've got a, a, a learner driver or not a very yeah, good driver? chugging along. And it goes... <laughs> and you think, change gear, change gear, change gear. And when they do eventually change gear, you have that terrible... Jolt. Clunk, clunking jolt yeah. and that's what this film does because it goes from like second gear and absolutely smashing the revs out of second gear so the pace is all wonky to try and injecting a bit of pace in the end where it goes from this melodramatic drama into like this thriller and, yeah. that, and that doesn't work no that doesn't work at all it almost feels like a completely separate film it's like the director the producer and and the whole cast actually realized halfway through do you know what guys this is really really boring mm. let's let's throw in some some gangsters and and and, and some sort of drug cartel down in Strange miami range russian ukrainian drug dealer let's have this piece of artwork go missing and and have to be redeemed 
redeemed like a voucher. This is Oscar bait. Um, and critics are many, many things, but one thing they are not is stupid. Or wrong. Uh, well, they, they sometimes can <laughs> be wrong, but they're not stupid. Uh, and and they've, they've completely seen through this film. The Rotten Tomato scores are intriguing. The critics give it 25%. Mm. The audience gives it 72%. For a film like this, which is a heavy, slow burner, you would normally expect the critics to give it a high score and the audience to say it was boring. But the critics aren't stupid. This is Oscar bait. What this film has done is it has slowly walked up to the oldest, most prestigious member of the Academy and kicked them straight in the bollocks. It is then <laughs> it, What? It has. It has walked up to a member of the Academy, kicked yep. them in the bollocks. Okay. It, it's then skipped off, whistling a tune. <laughs> We've got the attention of the Academy. Yes, you have got the attention of the Academy, but not in a good way. They're going to look at this and go, we're not... Fool- we- yeah, ouch. We're not falling for this melodramatic nonsense. Mm. You, 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 This is such Oscar bait. It's a current 16 to 1 shot for Best Picture. We'll talk about that more in Road to the Oscars. Make it 100 to 1. Make it 1,000 to 1. This has got no chance. The critics aren't stupid. They haven't fallen for the trap. Mm. It's, it is pure Oscar bait. And when... When you go down that route, you have to get it right. And unfortunately, the goldfinch gets it dramatically wrong. Mm. There's two two actors in this film that almost save it. And that's obviously Nicole Kidman and, and Jeffrey Wright as well. Oh, yeah. uh, Jeffrey Wright, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, um, you know, various other fantastic TV shows and, and films as well. And he is, his character is just, first of all, wonderful. He's you. Yeah, is it, do you think he's me? Well, he's so dry and philosophical. Thank you. And he looks, uh, he looks at a chair and he talks about its history. And it's, or, there is about a five-minute scene here where they talk about a chair. That sums this film up. You know what? You're right, it does. <laughs> it's true, isn't I mean, it? I mean, I mean, to be fair, though, any scene with him in it that sort of... You know, it's very Shakespearean. Well, slows things down and speaks profoundly How could he about. How it get any slower? But no, he slows he he slows the film down a little bit and speaks about things in a very artistic and mm. profound way. And I liked those elements of the film, yeah. and that that is just me. But you know, that those were some of the redeeming parts of the film. Mm. However. Unfortunately, it just it just doesn't work, does it? Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, John Crowley, the director, is a capable director. He also directed Brooklyn, uh, which starred Saoirse Ronan, was nominated for three Oscars, including Best Picture. I mean, it's got very fancy cinematography from uh, Roger Deakins and lavish production design, but it tries to be this... Oscar-winning masterpiece, and mm. unfortunately, it falls on its own sword, and it's just very dull and... Despite some good performances, the performances can't save it. The soundtrack as well, actually, I have to say, I think it's one of my favourite soundtracks from this week's episode, from the films that we've seen. I, I have to admit that. And that's maybe because of, you know, the kind of music that I like to hear yeah. in films. And, and it's very uh, orchestral and very subtle and builds up in the motion. And it, it again, it, it's it's one of those sort of Hollywood things where they obviously are not guiding you by telling you it's by audibly having music to sort of help you along the way. But again, that's sort of maybe not a great thing either. Even though I liked what I was listening to, perhaps that in- hindered my viewing of it as well because it's it, it's trying to inject more emotion in a, places. Do you know what I mean? A good emotive soundtrack can help save a bad film. Um, the same that a bad soundtrack can ruin a good film. Mm. Um, I thought the Joker soundtrack was sensational, by far the best soundtrack of the year. But the soundtrack in this is nice, and it does help. 
inject a little bit of emotion where actually all of the characters are very one-leveled. I think it's question time, don't you? I believe it is. Craig, the goldfinch, as I stroke my beard and look philosophical, is it worth it? Um, You know what? I'm going to say no. Yep. I'm going to say no because of the fact that I think for two and a half hours that you're sitting there for, maybe one hour of it, you are intrigued and you are on a journey of, of discovery with, with the other characters. But then after that hour is up, you no longer want to go on that journey with them anymore. You will kind of want to leave, um, despite how good the soundtrack is and how good it is in is in, in uh, visually in cinematography wise from Roger Deakins uh, and how good some of the acting is um, it just doesn't work at all for you David no I'm afraid it's not worth it like you said there's a nice soundtrack there's some good performances there are things visually it's very impressive but it, it just doesn't work and there's a quote here from the Washington Post which I have to read out I just think it sums the film up perfectly and it says this an air of unexamined privilege wafts through the goldfinch like so much Chanel number no. 5 a mood that isn't helped by the fact that characters have names like Kitsy, Platt and Welty that sums this film up it's very self-indulgent it's over-ambitious it's up its own arse a little bit I will say the word arse on the podcast and it tries to fool the Academy mm. the Academy aren't stupid this will not be nominated for Best Picture. Maybe it's just one of those books that can't be adapted to film. It's 800 pages and some books are difficult to adapt to film uh, and from this effort, this is definitely one of them. No, TV show definitely. Yep. Yep. So that's our review of The Goldfinch. Thank you very much for listening to week 37 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast, where we've gone out of our way to see almost all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you, the listener, doesn't have to. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our reviews of Joker, Judy, and The Goldfinch. It's been a long chicken kind of week, I think, for me, and... uh, Chicken? Yeah, have you never heard that saying? Long chicken? Never okay. heard that before. Don't Google it. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, we do want to just make it clear one more time. There's a competition. There is. You go on Twitter. What do you do, David? You go on Twitter. You retweet. Do, do. Thank you, Alfred, for your piano playing, as always. Alfred's in the background playing the piano. He is superb. Yeah, go on Twitter, retweet, like the page, and you'll have a chance not only to win that fantastic original piece of artwork, but also two tickets to any Cineworld in the UK to see Joker, including IMAX. That's right. Um, So we'll be back next week. Uh, We're going to be having some uh, very nice things produced because the cinema at home will be going out fairly soon. I I need to get on that and finish the editing for that one. Uh, The episode... Just like to do that in time with the music. Um, then episode two will be out uh, maybe the following week. Um, mm. David, you're still producing Road to the Oscars, aren't yes. you? How are you getting on with that? That minute? is coming along very, very well. That will be out with you at the end of October. We will be looking at everything um, from Best Actress, Best Actor and Best Picture. We'll be focusing on those three categories early. As we get closer to the awards, we'll start to look at um, some other awards as well, like cinematography, production design, uh, sound, that kind of stuff Very as well. nice. There's some other projects in the works. Um, if you 
you're looking to get involved with those, uh, one's going to be about Star Wars with the next Star Wars film coming out. Uh, so if you want to send some comments about that and your thoughts, that would be great. And we can read them out when we come to doing that. And finally, there will be a top 10 films of each decade being produced by... Wow. Toby, nonetheless, uh, and we'll be uh, producing that uh, maybe once a month. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to discuss it with Toby. I'm going to sit down with him and find out. And as always, we love your interaction. We love your emails, your tweets, your messages on Facebook. A big thank you to Paul Newbegin, who uh, had an audio clip on today's show. If you want to do that, tweet us an audio clip, message us an audio clip. We will happily include it in our review. Um, Also, thank you to everyone for your interaction on social media. Um, We've had some messages from uh, Becky and Kelly Muckle. Kelly says, I've seen The Joker and it is probably the best film of the year so far. An amazing performance by Joaquin Phoenix. Refreshing to see a film without CGI and just the actor's talent to carry the film off. Becky says it was very creepy and focused just on the Joker, but wow, brilliant film, very intense, not for the faint-hearted. As always, please do tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, email us, and we will happily get you involved in the show. And a big thanks to Paul for his audio clip. Yes, uh, we'll be back next week with week 38. Uh, we'll let you know what that is going to be on the show next week, David, because I don't know what films are going to be We don't out. know what it will be, but have a look out on Twitter and Facebook, etc. And we will update you as to what films we will be reviewing. Yep. Uh, for what final note, one final note. Please review us, like us, you know, rate us on the on, on our uh, Apple Podcasts. It's the main way that people find us, and uh, the only way we get seen in the charts and discovered is when people leave those reviews yep. and and uh, ratings as well. So we'd really love for you to do that, and if you can, uh, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, we've had three five star reviews recently, so people have been taking notice of that. So thank you very much to the people who have given those those five star reviews. It means a lot, and it is pushing us up in the Apple Podcasts, and hopefully one day we will be. At at the top of that chart do you reckon it's worth it's worth it i think so it's definitely worth it's it. 100 worth it and this was is it worth it episode 37 week 37 goodbye goodbye bye thanks for listening goodbye. see you next week yeah